Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ticket City presents Why You Go to the Game to See Georgia Southern. The play is known simply as The Run. Peterson took a handoff up the middle, broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage, spins away from the next defender he meets, and he shakes off a diving tackler. 30 yards down the field, he meets another defender and literally throws him out of the way with his right arm, grabs him by the shoulder pad, and swipes him off onto the sideline. It was really so surreal because the place is going completely berserk during the run until he throws off that defender. He throws off that defender, the whole place went silent, stone silent, like an intake of breath. It was just so amazing. Nobody had ever seen it before. And then, of course, the place exploded again after they all caught their breath. Put yourself in the action with Ticket City. Visit savannahnow.com slash sports and click on tickets. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I am Travis Jadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern at the Savannah Morning News. I'm joined today by Mike Anthony, the Georgia Southern beat writer and sports editor at the Statesboro Herald. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good to be back. All right, Mike, we got a lot to get to today. It's been a minute since we've been on here, and obviously a lot has gone down with Georgia Southern in the basketball world, um, in the football world, and even now in, in the baseball world. We'll stick with basketball and football today. We'll start Things off with with basketball as Georgia Southern heads into just a monumental game with Georgia State on Saturday at 5 p.m. at Hanner Fieldhouse. The Eagles are tied at 12 and 5 with Texas State and Georgia State atop the Sun Belt Conference. They've won six in a row, and and really they're rolling right now. Georgia Southern will enter the game with Georgia State at 20 and 10 overall. Uh, like we said, six straight games. Tukey Brown averaging 22 points per game over his last seven. Um, and I think, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what's on the line Saturday, um, in Statesboro when it comes to Georgia Southern and Georgia state, but, you know, at the surface, it's just a huge game as far as rivalries go, obviously. And then you have, uh, an NIT automatic bid up for grabs probably. Um, and that depends on what happens with Texas state if you're Georgia Southern, but, you know, just generally, a lot on the line outside of a rivalry game and outside of it being Tukey Brown and Monte Glenn's final game um, at Hanner Fieldhouse again, probably. So, you know, basketball, Mike, we've, t- we talked about, we've talked about this team, you know, throughout the season. And it seems like what we thought, you know, may happen at some point has happened. And that's that they figured out who they are and they figured out how they can win and how they can be successful. And I think, Mike, and let's let you start on this right off the bat. Since Ike Smith was announced that it, he was not going to return for the season, Georgia Southern has been rolling. Now, I don't know if those two things are directly correlated or just linked a little bit, but 
the fact of the matter is now that Georgia Southern knows this is the roster they will either advance with or not advance with, uh, they've been playing a lot better. So what have you seen uh, from the Eagles on the basketball court, Mike, over the last month? Well, I think you hit on it right at the end there uh, about once, you know, Ike said that he was not coming back, that this is what they've got. This is the hand that they were dealt. They thought that they were going to have a much deeper team this year with uh, uh, three seniors and Ike and Tukey and Monte Glenn coming back and a, a lot of guys with a lot of experience. But injuries have kind of hurt him a little bit. Um, in, in a way, I don't even want to call it a blessing in disguise because you never want to lose guys due to injury. But because they've been limited by injuries, they've really been forced to play with an eight-man rotation for most of the last month and a half, close to two months. And instead of tinkering with different lineups, different rotations, you know, kind of getting guys in and out of the game where they might not be able to find a groove when you only have eight guys and, you know, on any given night there could be some foul trouble or someone's not having a great game. You know, there's only so many different combinations you can go with. And Georgia Southern and especially Coach Mark Byington, I think that, uh, you know, he's done a good job of putting guys in the right roles and then everyone who's needed to pick up the slack due to the uh, uh, lack of uh, depth on the bench, they've been able to do so. They've had some guys, you know, Tukey Brown, of course, you know, stepping it up, playing at an all-conference level as he has his entire career. But Monte Glenn uh, doing what he was supposed to do as a senior. Simeon Carter has really come along after the first month of the season where he might have been a little bit slow, big things expected of him. He's now playing like it. Isaiah Crowley, really the guy that jumps off the – uh, page as well as jumping off the gym those nights. He's had a couple of tomahawk dunks. He's really announced himself as a, a big force and a big threat to any opponent. So yeah. Georgia Southern might not be the same team it thought it was going to be at the beginning of the season, but it's definitely a dangerous team here at the end of the season. Yeah, and like you said, Isaiah Crawley and Simeon Carter have really, really been pleasant surprises. I think uh, Calvin Wishart has has been coming along nicely, and so have so has Elijah McCadden. So those are two freshman guards that I think Georgia Southern fans should be excited about for the next three or four years. Mike, as far as senior night goes on Saturday, we've, we've heard Coach Byington say that the festivities and whatnot will go on after the game. I, I wanted to get your opinion on this. Do you think, do you think that, that maybe something like that is kind of counterproductive? And what I mean by that is this. If Byington, we've heard Byington say this, if he doesn't want this to be a distracting a distraction or, you know, he doesn't want his team to look ahead or, you know, kind of know what's on the line Saturday besides just a 40-minute basketball game. It seems that, that moving it to after the game might allow something like that to linger in the back of a player's mind. I mean, I don't think Tukey Brown's going to be thinking about a senior night celebration during a basketball game. I'm not implying that. But I think maybe if you, if you just had it, got it out of the way, and then played the basketball game, that would serve the purpose a little better. What do you think about it? Yeah, I tend to agree, but, uh, you know, I can maybe see Byington's side of it. It, it. If nothing else, I think maybe it's a, a little bit of superstition when you've been playing this well for the last uh, month or so. It'll be over a calendar month since their last loss by the time they are ready to tip off on Saturday. So maybe he's thinking, you know, hey, we've been in a groove. We've been doing things a certain way. You know, why would we you know get in the way of our preparation or the – the way that we usually uh, roll things out before a game. On the other hand, you know, I don't know. Even even if Georgia Southern wins, there's going to be some people filing out, getting to the rest of their Saturday night. And so I, I don't want to say that it's doing a disservice to Tukey and Monte, but uh, you know, it'll it'll be a little weird. Maybe it's just maybe people are looking at it so strangely just because 
you and I and pretty much no one else has ever seen it done like that before. So I really don't know what to expect. And, right. you know, I kind of I kind of wish Atuki would have his moment in front of an amped-up crowd that's ready to go before the game. But you know what? If Georgia Southern wins, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of celebrating and plenty to uh, be amped up about after the game as well. Yeah, if Georgia Southern wins Saturday night at 5 p.m. at Hanner, there's no telling what Statesville is going to look like and feel like after that game. And I, you know, from the looks of it, Mike, you you could probably speak to this more than I could. It looks like it's going to be a guaranteed sellout at Hanna, right? Yeah, uh, to the best of my knowledge, the uh, the powers that be are already predicting that uh, if you don't have your ticket already, you're not going to be able to walk up and get one. Yeah, and listen, if you if you don't have you know an already scheduled event or some or some you know bona fide reason why you can't make this game, you're missing out, and I think you're missing the boat because this game really is the culmination of. Of I don't think it's an exaggeration to say four years of work, Mike. I mean, this the opportunity is gigantic on Saturday, and you get the game at home, you know, at 5 p.m. after a, a football spring game and a baseball game. You, you kind of have the conference in the eyes of the conference really to yourselves. And you know, what better team to welcome to Hannah Fieldhouse for for a night like that than Georgia State? So if if you can be there, my advice would be to be there because you're not going to want to miss. Tukey Brown's last game. You're not going to want to miss Georgia Southern versus Georgia State. You're not going to want to miss an opportunity for Georgia Southern to win the Sunbelt Conference regular season title. And, you know, Mike, that's a good segue to kind of what I wanted to talk about next uh, before we jump into the specifics of Georgia Southern versus Georgia State. Let's talk about an NIT berth, a guaranteed NIT berth, and what that kind of would mean for the Georgia Southern program. Mike, do you think that the, the NIT has kind of changed – and the way that people view it, I mean, I know it used to be when you heard NIT, it felt like a, an extreme constellation. And I don't know what's changed, really. Maybe it's me that's changed. But I, I think that now the NIT is at least worthy uh, of being something to shoot for. You know what I mean? So you want to make it to the NCAA tournament, of course. But if you can win on Saturday, and it depends what happens in Texas, I guess. But if you can win on Saturday... You know, you you pretty much have guaranteed yourself a, a berth into the NIT, and that that matters for me, at least. How much do you think that matters for the Georgia Southern basketball program, Mike? Well, I think that they definitely want to be rewarded with, as you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, four years of hard work. You know, four years ago when Tukey and Ike and Monte came onto this team, they were coming right after the Georgia Southern team that was within two points of going to their first NCAA tournament in what was then 25 years. Uh, but after that, they lost five big players, four starters, five really key contributors from that team, and they had to start from scratch. So, you know, you're right. They've built up for four years to this. They've gone from, you know, a team with talented freshmen that was just kind of in over their heads, learning the hard way in college basketball, to a team that could compete and surprise some teams in their sophomore year. Last year, they were, you know, at times looked like they could really compete for a, a championship. They kind of tailed off at the end, and now, they're right there. So I think in their minds, they really want the NCAA tournament. But to speak to your opinions about the NIT, I think that for teams at the mid-major level, it really has become something to aim for. But I don't really see that as being a good thing. I think that the powers of being the selection committee and the Power Five conferences, they've just hogged so many of these bursts that, you know, unless you just win your conference tournament, if your name isn't Gonzaga or Wichita State, or you didn't make a huge run the previous year, have a 
player of the year candidate that happens to be on a mid-major team, you're really out of luck if you don't win that conference tournament and get the automatic bid. So I guess in a way it is something to aim for. Uh, you know, it, it proves that someone's at least paying attention to you and votes you in somewhere. But in my mind, you mentioned you've noticed a change in over the last decade or so. I agree. I think it's turned into a tournament that it, it, you've got the accolades. If you win, you get to go to Madison Square Garden. You'll get on Sports Center. But for the most part, it seems to me that every year that tournament's full of mid-major teams who probably belong in the uh, NCAA tournament that are playing right. with a chip on their shoulder or a bunch of borderline 500 teams from the P5 that think that they belong there when they really don't and might not even belong in an NIT tournament, but they end up with high seats there just because they'll bring 5,000 people to an arena and make the NCAA some money. All right, let me ask you this. what If Georgia Southern is invited to the NIT, they 100% accept it and go to the NIT, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Georgia Southern hasn't been to the NIT since, I believe, 2006. And, yeah, just because I have, you know, some harsh opinions on how the field gets uh, uh, made up, it doesn't mean that it's not no. a tournament. It definitely is. It just seems to me that there are some teams every year that should probably swap places in between the NCAA and the NIT. Plus, Mikey, if, if Georgia Southern makes it uh, in the NIT and not the NCAA tournament, me and you could find ourselves in Madison Square Garden for an NIT Final Four game. What do you think about that? I don't I don't know about uh your paper, but my paper doesn't have a New York City expense budget. No, I don't think I don't think we have a New York City we expense budget. We can share a broom closet up there for five hundred a night or something. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to hitchhike to get there, but, but yeah, we'll make that it. Too. Uh, all right, let's talk about the specifics of Saturday, Mike. Last time Georgia Southern played Georgia State, I, I was pretty critical of the acceptance on Georgia Southern's part to say, all right, here's the Georgia State zone. Here's what they want us to do, shoot from the outside. And so that's what we will do. And it led to them not shooting well from the outside, not, you know, not really surprising, to say the least. Uh, but mm-hmm. also, one of the things that stuck out for me last time when Georgia Southern was in Atlanta um, was Tukey Brown attempting nine field goals in 39 minutes, whereas you had Demarcus Simons on the other side for Georgia State, who you know, wasn't at his best. I think he was 10 for 20 in the game ended up scoring, you know, over 25 points, but he, he attempted 20 field goal attempts as the unquestioned leader of Georgia state. Well, the unquestioned leader of Georgia Southern is Tukey Brown. I would hope this time around, we see more than nine field goal attempts from Tukey Brown. And if you're Georgia state, I'm sure you're living with nine field goal attempts from him every single time you play him. Do you think the, the game plan for Georgia Southern changes heading into Saturday based off of what happened in Atlanta earlier in the season? Well, I think that they've learned to play against the zone a little bit better. Now, the the outside shooting's improved a little bit, I think mostly uh, thanks to the uh, progression of Calvin Wishart. Uh, right. It's been mostly him and uh, Quan Jackson are about the only guys who are constantly going behind the arc and shooting. Tukey can do it, but I think he's much better served creating in the lane, creating for other people by driving. But, you know, as far as him taking shots, I do think that I wouldn't call him gun shy. I think uh, when we talked about it the last time about the game in Atlanta, I said that it was almost like he was trying too hard to help everybody else out, to trying too hard to make everybody else a star. I think that especially in his final game in uh, Tanner Fieldhouse against a rival in a game that they really need to win, I don't think that you see him put up 20 shots, but I do think that anytime that game's in trouble, anytime the – the Eagles are, you know, looking to make a play. I think that ball stays in Tukey Brown's hands a, a little more. But, again, if you compare him 
and Simons, it's tough to do because they're two different players. You know, Suki, he'll pass the ball a little more. He, he's a, uh, he, he picks his spots really well. Like the game against Arkansas State last Saturday at halftime, I think he only had four, maybe five points, and he ends right. up leading the team with 17, 18. He really knows when to hit the gas, whereas with Simons, you know he's going to put up 20, 21, 22 shots a night, and now he's very capable of hitting 17 of them and just burying you, but you hope for a night you know, where he hits five of them and maybe shoots his own team out of the game. Right, and I guess you said that Simons and, and Brown are different players. That That's definitely true. I think Georgia State and Georgia Southern are, are – are two they're also built completely differently at georgia southern you know i don't think it would be a stretch to say they're one of the deeper teams in the league uh there's a drop off when you go to the georgia southern bench but there's a lot of guys that can come in and score you know 10 to 15 on on any given night and you know guys like uh simeon carter and uh I i like the way david lee jones is playing of late and elijah mccadden whereas georgia state they're gonna go with their five basically for the entire game and so if you're Simons you're you're kind of not having to get other guys involved you have other guys on the floor that kind of can get themselves involved whereas Brown you know if if a guy like Elijah McCadden or Calvin Wishart is going to get going it'll probably be off of uh you know a Tukey Brown setup or at least Tukey Brown being kind of aggressive so I you know I do think that there are differences there um an important thing to note in this game the road team has not won a game in this series since 1996. Mike, trivia for you. What was the number one song on the Billboard Top 100 the last time a road team won in the series? Ooh, oh man, like on that date in history? That week, yeah, 1996. That week. Okay, so let's see. Mike would have been in uh sixth grade. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a Spice Girls song. Ooh, you you always tend to lean towards the Spice Girls. It was actually Michael Jackson's I do Black like and White. Girl pop. Uh, okay (laughs) so that is just kind of putting it in perspective it's been an extremely long time since the road team won a game in this series obviously you don't want to be the team to let that streak end and you know you can look at it one way or the other either the road team is due or you know you have an extreme advantage for being the home team because of you know just the numbers 1996 is wild to me um, now, there was a big break yeah, in there because they weren't in the same conference, but yeah, it has been a, a dynamic Well, you don't have streak. to say that, man. You don't have to qualify. <laughs> well, but also, I would say that in terms of home court advantages, when Hanner's filled up, you're not going to find a bigger one. It's not the prettiest place in the world, but if you've never been to a packed Hanner Fieldhouse and you have the ability to get there, you need to get there because it goes from being pretty loud and pretty raucous to a hornet's nest. Yeah, and the temperature raises about 1,000 degrees, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, that's because we're way up there in the uh, in the crow's nest, and all the heat's just going right up to us. Yeah, who cares about who cares about us, right, Mike? Nope, nope. Uh, let's talk about one more thing with basketball, Mike, and then we'll jump into some football stuff before Georgia Southern's blue white spring game on Saturday at 11 a.m. at Paulson Stadium. Basketball, Mike. When Mark Byington and the Eagles got to 20 wins in the regular season, Byington received a bonus that was two thousand five hundred dollars. Big picture, let's just talk about Byington and kind of where he stands with Georgia Southern right now. With everything that's happened with Coach Chad Lunsford and the football program, understandably so, um, as far as new contracts and, and really just a hell of a lot of momentum coming off of last year's football season. Byington, meanwhile, has just been the model of consistency in Statesboro. And, you know, 
I'm not going to call out his salary, but let's just say it's not anywhere near what football coaches are making, even the assistants. A $2,500 bonus for 20 regular season wins for this team for this year seems really, really low. And I guess, Mike, I wanted to get your opinion on where the athletics program is with Byington and kind of what you think. Do you, I guess, let me ask you this. Do you think that with everything that's happened in football and the focus on football, what Byington has done has kind of been a little underappreciated? I, I think that he's done a great job of taking a program that was really struggling, a program that was only a, a year or two off of probation when he took it over. Uh, he did a great job of taking, you know, the, the remains of a team, putting it together, and then I think his second year making that run or third year making that run all the way to the Sunbelt Championship game. But it's after that where I really think he's proved his worth and proved, you know, that maybe he does deserve a little bit more is that, you know, he takes that team, says goodbye to, to five, you know, key contributors. And I mentioned, you know, the right on deck is Ike Smith, Tukey Brown. And granted, Tukey Brown had been committed to an SEC school. Uh, he worked some magic, got him to come to Georgia Southern. And it's not every, uh, it's not every year. It's maybe not even every decade that you're going to get a guy of that skill set to uh, commit to your recruiting class. But it hasn't been just Tukey Brown, you know, scoring 35 points a game for, uh, for four years. Byington's right. done the work to to put a lot of comparable talent aside him and getting them all to to play together. I think if you want to point to one thing that really uh, uh, shows that Byington needs to be kept at Georgia Southern, if you're an Eagle fan, it's just if you hang around this team, they all get along so well together. They play well together on the floor. You can see it this year, especially that they've really uh, emphasized transition and tempo. If you got you've got guys that are worrying about their own point totals, if you've got guys that are worrying about the seniors and juniors getting the points so that they can get the the uh, uh, all-conference rankings and let the uh, younger guys wait their turn. If you have guys worrying about that, you aren't going to have the dunks, the transition, the big runs that this team's been able to go on this year. So it, it seems to me, from what I've seen, this is a, a team full of guys that really get along, and that means to me that when they do have to say goodbye to, to Tukey Brown and Monte, and hopefully they'll get another year out of like next year if he's healthy enough to play, but when he goes – you know, Byington's proven that he's identifying talent and not only bringing in that talent, but getting it to mesh with the talent that's already there. So in my book, that's worth some money. Again, I don't know the exact numbers. I don't know the, the budget constraints of Georgia Southern. But if he says goodbye to a guy like Tukey Brown and two years later the Eagles are a favorite to win again, that's the kind of thing that will get the attention of bigger schools who can offer more money than Georgia Southern. Yeah, and you want to—I guess—you want to get out in front of that if you're Georgia Southern. I mean, if, for instance, if this year Georgia Southern continues to win and they make it in the NCAA tournament, say they win a game, you're going to have a lot of folks looking at at Byington and saying, "Man, what a great job he's done." We already know what a great job he's done just from being around this team, Mike. The number of times that they've changed who they are—not not because not because that's something they want to do. But it's something that they've been forced into with injuries to, to Ike Smith. Earlier in the year, you had injuries to uh, to David Lee Jones and Calvin Wishart was out with mono at one point. Uh, you know, you've had a lot of different moving pieces. Monte Glenn was out uh, for a couple of games. So you've had a lot of moving pieces. And Byington and, and the coaching staff, the rest of the coaching staff, have done an incredible job, I think, of continuing to adapt who they are. Now, of late, they've become a team that, that likes – to press and they like that two, two, one press, especially after made baskets. That's another way they've adapted. And 
what's impressed me big picture with Byington is the kinds of basketball players that he's bringing into Georgia Southern aren't necessarily the kinds of classes, uh, recruiting classes that most people would bring in. And uh, like, for instance, next year, you, you know, I know there's two, at least two junior college transfers. One of them is Travion Lamar, uh, a former Jenkins high school player in Savannah. Um, he's a jun- junior college transfer. They have another junior college uh, swing, kind of a wing forward transfer for next year. And then two high school seniors, I believe. So when you have guys like Crawley, like Simeon Carter, who transfer in, then you can mesh those guys with with guys like Wishart and McCadden, who come in as true freshmen. That's pretty impressive, you know. And you're going, you're you're kind of going to different places, and especially Wishart and Del- I think it's was it Delano, Minnesota that he's from, Mike. Uh, from, yes, I think he's yep, from yep. Minnesota. I mean, that's that's impressive. I think to bring a guy I think like Wishart will do Jordan. anything that he's asked of just to keep from being sent back to. Minnesota. The last couple of times I've checked the temperature there, I don't think he wants any part of going back there anytime soon. No, yeah, and if and if Georgia Southern football were to lose a couple more slot receivers, we might see Wishart <laughs> coming coming out for practice well, because. Well, the way he's played the last couple of games, I don't think Byington would let him anywhere near a helm. No, and I would especially with the lack of depth right now, he's far too valuable. And he he really, I think, if you want to point to one guy that's been a key for this six game winning streak. You know, he hasn't scored the most points, but on a couple nights, you know, he's been up there in double-digit scoring. But it's his ability to keep some teams honest, uh, to not pack that zone in. Uh, he's proven that he can hit shots if you leave him open. And if he hits a couple early in the game, then you get games like the last two with Little Rock and Arkansas State where they, they try to play that zone. They try to deny the middle. But when they've got to come out just a little bit because Georgia Southern shooting the three better than they were earlier in the season, that's where a guy like Tukey Brown can just drive inside and eat you alive with passes. Or if you back off to try to defend someone in the post, he just gets those easy layups. Right. And if you're game planning for Georgia Southern, if you're in the locker room just before the game, you know, going over the game plan, Wishart has become one of the guys that you at least have to account for circle uh, on the, you know, on the whiteboard, I guess. Whereas earlier in the year, I'm not sure Mike, if, if I'm a Georgia Southern opponent in, say, late December, early January, who are you focusing on besides Tukey Brown at that point in time? Right. I think that early in the year, you know, when Calvin goes out there, he was pretty much out there to shoot a couple of threes. And if he if he hit them, then you keep him in the game and see if he can really get hot. If not, you get him out of there because at that time there's a little bit more depth, a little bit more experience that they could go to. So, you know, it, it, you'd be if you're an opponent, you know, you, you don't really need to – cover him unless he hits his first couple and gets hot but now you're right uh from the opening tip you can't just let him run the baseline get around screens and get himself an open look yeah i mean i agree with you mike let's ju- let's jump to football unless you got anything else for basketball uh nope just uh uh it's gonna be crazy on saturday i, I look forward to it all of them are crazy against georgia state but this one it's a it's a perfect storm of everything that could possibly be on the line is on the line yeah, again, 5 p.m. Saturday night. If you cannot make it into Hanner Fieldhouse, then you can watch it on ESPN Plus or listen to the Georgia Southern Sports Network with, with Danny Reed and those guys. Adam Van Bremer here, editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com and host of two regular podcasts, The Commute 
and Difference Makers. Get your daily local news and opinion fix on The Commute. Available each weekday afternoon, The Commute offers insights into the day's hottest topics with commentary from those who know the subjects best. Our other regular production is the bi-weekly Difference Makers podcast, which is dedicated to sharing stories and insights from Savannah's key players, the men and women who lead our city in commerce, in arts and culture, in philanthropy, in government, and in education. Episodes post every other Friday and like The Commute are on demand through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at savannahnow.com. Make listening to The Commute and Difference Makers a part of your regular routine today. So let's let's jump into football, Mike. And like we said, spring game, Saturday, 11 a.m., Paulson Stadium. That's really the start of huge day in Statesboro as far as athletics go. It'll begin with the spring game. I guess it'll end with technically a, a, a baseball game, Mike. Is there a doubleheader Saturday? Uh, no, no, that's it's just, just been the last couple weeks because of weather. Just okay. the 2 p.m. one. So 2 p.m. baseball, or let's say 11 a.m. football, 2 p.m. baseball, 5 p.m. basketball. I think there's a softball game also sprinkled in Yeah, somewhere. they actually were – softball was supposed to be in Appalachian State, but because Appalachian State decided to live on top of a mountain, they're a little bit snowy this week, so they have moved it to Statesboro. Moving mountains. So we, now we got App State in town on Saturday. You got Georgia State in town on Saturday. I think it looks a lot like a booby trap if you're Georgia Southern mm-hmm. fans. Well, I mean, it's going to be a fun day. You you need to just get your rest on Friday. You need to stay hydrated. You need to get your game plan right. And you need to get out to all those events. It's going to be a great time. Yep, I couldn't agree more. And, And, Mike, I'm excited to get out there on Saturday and see the football team wrap up spring practices. 15 total, the last of which will be the scrimmage on Saturday, the blue-white scrimmage. We still don't have a format for that yet. We should get that in the coming days um, as we record this on a Tuesday night. Last year, we had the LSS, the Lunsford Scoring System, I believe, which was mm-hmm. which was unique. Um, I think that's the best way to put that. Um, but this year, I think it'll be a little bit more, uh, I guess, classic football instead of uh, offense versus defense. It'll still have mostly the offense versus defense components, but maybe a little bit more standard as far as the scoring and format go. Um, well, I think it all depends on who they run out there because, you know, the, right. that weird scoring kind of makes sense if you're going, you know, first string offense against first string defense. You know, you got to sure. have a way for the your best guys on defense to score points. And, you know, since Shywards doesn't throw interceptions, knock on wood, it's hard to do that. For sure, yeah. And, Mike, before we talk about uh, – let's we'll, we'll talk about the spring game. We'll talk about the schedule release – uh, which came out, I believe, on Friday, giving us you know the dates, the exact dates, and, and kind of the layout for what Georgia Southern will go through in 2019. I did want to touch on uh, the three players getting arrested uh, a couple weeks ago. I think it was after the football awards banquet and gala. I don't want to hang on this too long because I don't think it's that big of a deal, to be honest. But it is something I wanted to address. I think a lot of people see, see that three players get arrested, and it's easy um, I'm guilty of this sometimes. It's easy to assume that that makes the three players arrested uh, somehow bad character guys or somehow um, they deserve to be punished or somehow it wasn't uh, a, the Georgia Southern man way of doing things. And instead, I think the way that we all hope and the way that we all wish that we could look at these things, if we're being honest with ourselves, we wish that we could look at these things and assume that someone is innocent until proven guilty. And unfortunately, a lot of the things that I saw after that, Mike, did not 
did not point to that way of thinking. And I guess I'll, I'll say what I want to say about it. Then you can say what you want to say about it, Mike, and then we'll move on and never talk about it again, probably. But <laughs> I, I, I wanted to say this. We've all heard things that happened that night and, and heard different versions of probably the same story. And most of the versions we've heard, I'm sure, have some truths, some some partial truths, and some just flat-out lies. But here's what we know didn't happen. We know that they weren't charged with uh, anything violent or, or any kind of felony or anything that would deserve to be judged just on the charge alone, right? So if I think of, uh, say, former Georgia running back Isaiah Crowell, when he gets arrested while he's in Athens with a gun, an unregistered gun in his car, you can deduce some things from that. I mean, that's, I think that's fair. When someone gets charged uh, in Statesboro for disorderly conduct, you can't really deduce a lot from, from those kinds of things. And so the, the calls for uh, it to, you know, guys to be suspended or, or guys to start acting right, I think we need to wait to reserve those judgments because I think what Lunsford and the staff have shown is that, that they're committed to a certain way of doing things and that from what they've heard, and I'm sure they've talked to the players and probably law enforcement, from what they've heard, these three guys don't need to be punished in any kind of public light. And instead, Lunsford said that it will be handled internally, which is the way it should be handled probably. But the last thing I'll say about it is this. Be careful when you're commenting you know, online or when you're kind of giving your, your opinion on, on things like this, off the field things, be careful that you don't paint these guys in a light that makes them out to be professionals. These are 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids in college who have simply been charged, right? They, you know, they haven't gone through a, a judge and jury trial. They probably not, will not ever go through that with a charge like this. So when you're, when you're saying things online and when you're kind of laying out your own version of a punishment, remember that these are guys that have moms and sisters and, and families, and they don't have the opportunity to comment back and tell you what really happened, right? And so that kind of thing needs to be at the forefront of people's mind, I think, when stuff like this happens, Mike. That's a long-winded way of me kind of getting that off my chest. I'll let you go ahead and take over. Yeah, uh, basically what I've heard from it, and again, this is all, uh, I'm not going to say speculation because I've heard it from good sources, albeit without you know exact details, but from good sources really close to the team, what I've heard is that there is a disturbance, and take what you will from the fact that it was at 3.40 in the morning. You know, sure, a lot of more bad things than good happen at that time of night, but it's not illegal to be awake at 3.40 in the morning. Correct. And, you know, from what I've heard is that something happened, cops showed up, and a few of the people involved ran off. And a few of the people that stuck around happened to be on the football team. And, you know, maybe they just were judged to have been a part of the disturbance. So since they stuck around and were there for the cops, they uh, uh, ended up, you know, being in the police blotter. But, you know, as you said, nothing was ever cited other than, you know, disorderly conduct, which that's so broad of a range of things that it could possibly be that, you know, you can't speculate. You can't deduce anything, like you said. So, um, again, I was told, same as you were, that from whatever the scope of their actual misdeeds were, 
that uh, whatever it was, uh, I was told that the punishment was fitting for something that could be handled by a coaching staff on a football field and something that didn't need to be handled by a judge or a jury. And listen, I mean, just because it's handled internally, that doesn't mean that these guys are getting off light. I mean, there's I could I could think of some ways that Chad Lunsford could punish these guys on a football field much harsher than a judge and jury could. Well, and another thing I'll tell you, and uh, again, this is just coming from a source. I wasn't there in the room, but you know, I've been told that one of the main punishments for for this is that you know they've become the example for how not to be that Georgia Southern man that uh, Coach Lunsford is always talking about on social media. You know, he right. always warns the guys, and you were uh, 18, 19, 20 years old once. You were that a lot more recently than I was, but I remember being 18 and 19 too, and you hear all the warnings, but you never really listen until it happens to you or somebody else. And, you know, as far as things go, I guess something that can only be described as a nonviolent disorderly conduct, that's a lot easier way to make an example of somebody and say this can happen to you than it is if, like you said, a gun's involved or alcohol's involved or something more serious where it's not the coach making an example out of you. It's, you know, the, the justice uh, system. Yeah. Again. All right. So we'll, we'll leave that right where it is. I, I did want to touch on that. I mean, I feel like it would be a, a bit of a disservice to not at least comment on that. The next time we were together, Mike, Let, I wanted to touch on the Georgia Southern 2019 schedule, kind of compare it to where they were at at this time of year in 2018. Um, Mike, right off the bat, when you look at your schedule, it's clear, right? That things are not going to be as easy, uh, especially out of the gate, as they were in 2018. Now, I'm, Georgia Southern did not play a light schedule in 2018. That's not what I'm saying. But things kind of did go their way as far as the way it lined up with the, with the new division formats. You got App State at home. You had to travel to a down Georgia State, but you got mm-hmm. App State at home. You didn't play the SEC West winner. And, I mean, the uh, SBC West winner. And you got uh, – They had Troy at home, which, you know, they lost, but it was easier than Troy on the road. Yeah, they got Arkansas right. and State. And then you had the bye week before Arkansas State, right? Home. Right, right. So off the rip this year, you're going to have at LSU. I mean, I think we can just kind of place that in its own category uh, – you know, I don't know that anything earth-shattering can come out of uh, the August 31st opener at OSU besides maybe injuries. But, I mean, I don't know that you're really going to learn too much about what Georgia Southern is or is not this year out of that game. But just the first three games kind of as a whole, as a collective, Mike, I think you, you have to win. You have to beat Maine week two, which, which is no slouch. Now, they were in the semifinals of the FCS playoffs last year. and and then you're at Minnesota, um, which from here in March, obviously it's, it's way, way early. That's a winnable game. I think if you go two and one in the first three, that's awesome. That's A+. plus. If you go one and two, you're fine. I think everything is, that you want, all your goals are still attainable. But, Mike, when you get into the meat of the season, you start seeing there, there are several spots – where Georgia Southern is, is, is going to have their work cut out for them. I mean, obviously, Halloween night at App State, you know, that's a game that kind of speaks for itself. We know how important mm-hmm. that one is. And from the way things look, it'll probably be around as important as it was last year when App State came to Statesboro as the 25th ranked team in America. But 
Mike, if the first two games of 2019, the teams won a combined 20 games in 2018, that's LSU and Maine. Uh, last year, South Carolina State and UMass ended up winning a combined nine games in 2018. So you obviously have a different level of opponent uh, in LSU, Maine, Minnesota. But what happens, Mike, if some of these doomsday scenarios happen this year that didn't happen last year? If Georgia Southern loses, say, a game that it shouldn't lose in Maine or maybe Coastal Carolina or at South Alabama, something like that, does that kind of throw off the whole season based on what the schedule looks like? Well, I mean (laughs) – you could say it throws off their whole season based on the mantra, you know, right now, last year was WIN win. What's important now, you know, now since the end of the season, it's gone. Uh, it's good to great. That's what coach Lunsford preaches every single meeting, every single press session that we're at. Uh, on this podcast, so, Mike, we worry about what's important next. Okay. That's what we worry about. But, but, but yeah. So in that sense, yeah, that would really throw a wrench into it, losing to a team that, not only you should beat, but chances are that you beat last year as well. That makes it a lot tougher to put up the same results as last year to get better like they like they want to. But, you know, losses happen. Um, it's pretty rare that you get every single winnable game in uh, July. Every game that you take off is one that you should win. It, it's not every year that you go through that. In fact, I would say that more often than not, you'll win one that you should lose. You'll lose one that you should win. Last year it just happened to be that they won a lot of them that people didn't expect them to. And mm-hmm. they held serve in every single one that they were predicted to win. So, Mike, let's let me go through a couple more of these. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I think a lot of what happened in 2018 was so rare and so unique. And we've talked about this, you know, on the podcast and off the podcast before. You cannot ask Georgia Southern to do those same things again. You, you want to set them as goals. Of course, you don't want to throw an interception all season long. But the fact of the matter is that had never happened before to an FBS team. I mean, so the chances of it happening again are extremely small. The chances of you setting another FBS record in turnover margin are extremely small. So I guess what I would ask, Mike, is can Georgia Southern win football games by being good in those categories, but not necessarily being world beaters in those categories? I think that's going to depend on whether or not the offense can – take steps forward now last year don't get me wrong last year they were leaps and bounds better than they were in 2017 they were able to sustain drives which if you ask me at the beginning of last year that was the key was just sustain drives you don't have to put up 40 points a game you don't have to break off 60 yard runs every other series but they had to keep from going three and out for two years in a row they had gone three and out on this constantly they had put all the pressure on their defense and they had wilted in the second half things got ugly all the time Last year, even in the games where they struggled a little offensively, they were at least able to put together a first down or two. Not only does that give the defense a breather, but it lets you, you know, get a little bit more uh, field position once you punt it away. You're not punting from your own red zone. You can maybe get them into their red zone and defend a bigger field. And once that happened on a consistent basis, you saw what that defense could do. And it it wasn't a world-shaking defense, but it was a very opportunistic one. And it was one that was really hard to go 70 or more yards on. So uh, to that end, I would say that, no, they don't have to set all those records in terms of uh, turnover margin. I think that they can't uh, survive or they can't have a good season if they have a negative turnover margin. I still don't think the offense is quite that good. I don't think the defense can be counted on to hold you to 10 points or less. 
But I think as long as they're on the right side of that turnover margin, that the offense is going to be good enough this year, maybe a little more explosive, and they'll be able to not have to depend on the defense to just keep on giving the ball back. And same thing goes. I think that they'll score enough points to where if they do throw an interception, if they do fumble one in their own uh, uh, half the field, that they'll be able to make up for it on their on their own and score enough points to to erase that. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. I think that again, there are there are several things that happened last season that that could happen again this year, but just statistically, they're probably not going to happen again. Yep. So I guess a couple more notes I wanted to throw out there before we wrap up, Mike. Uh, it does sound like Ian Bush, the nose tackle who was eligible for a sixth year, has decided to hang him up. You know, I'm sure there are some personal things that, that he probably had to consider before deciding on whether or not to play this sixth year, but it does sound like Ian Bush will not be playing with the 2019 Georgia Southern Eagles. So we wish him the best uh, in whatever he decides to do next. Um, uh, did want to touch on the 11 a.m. blue-white spring game. Remember, that is free. That is open to the public. Um, and I, I don't envision parking to be a huge problem, but I would I would advise getting there a little early, uh, earlier than 11 a.m. because they'll probably start, as we know, with the five-minute rule right on time. So – uh, 11 a.m. Saturday at Paulson Stadium is the spring game, um, and Georgia Southern will open up their 2019 season on the football field at LSU in Death Valley on August 31st. Let's all pray that's a day game and not a night game at LSU. I have some pretty credible information that looks like it's going to be a night game in Death Valley. That is unfortunate as far as uh, history goes, Mike, for playing yes. a road game at LSU at night. Um, but – Again, long way away. Georgia Southern's got a lot returning. Shywert says that they're not going down there just to play. They're going down there to win. So, uh, again, a lot of time to be excited about Georgia Southern football. But if you cannot wait that long, Saturday's a good opportunity to get your fix at Paulson Stadium free of charge. Mike, you got anything else? Nope. You going to go to that game in uh, Baton Rouge? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's going to be good times. Yep, I'll be there. Yeah, it's going to be good times. So we thank you guys for listening. And, and Mike, thank you for joining us. Until next time, thank you guys for listening to Georgia Southern Extra Podcast. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.